0: So Hebrews chapter 11, if I didn't say it already this morning, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. Hebrews 11 verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, We have been looking at this chapter now for several weeks and we've been talking about faith because this is a chapter all about faith. If you have a heading in your Bible over chapter 11, mine simply says, By Faith. Uh, In chapter, in verse number 1 rather, uh, we get that classic statement about what faith is, sort of a a definition, a working definition uh, of what faith really is. And and then we get into what has often been called the Hall of Faith, where the writer just goes from one example to another uh, from the Old Testament of those who have lived lives of faith in the past and and what they have done through that faith. We looked last week though, and we just tried to try to summarize because we're looking at all these various stories and. What is it that is being said about faith? All the stories, all the examples, all the illustrations are simply there to illustrate. They're just that. They're, they're illustrations illustrating the truth about faith. And we said last week that there were three key truths about faith in, in this passage and in this text that, that really are illustrated throughout the rest of the chapter. So the first one is just that definition that is given in verse number one And we said there that faith is the divinely given confidence in God and his promises. Faith is a divinely given confidence or assurance both in God and in his promises, that he rewards those, as it says. And we're not going to expound those again, but I'm just going to mention these. The second one that we saw last week was the truth that faith acts, faith acts acts. It does things. It, It knows God to be real and it trusts his promises to be absolutely true and certain so that it begins to act in obedience to his call and command. You see, when we're confident when we have assurance that God is real and that his promises are indeed true that affects the the way that we live when God calls us to obedience when he commands us to do things in his word we do it we act upon those commands because we know him to be real and we trust his promises to be true faith acts it does things and then thirdly we saw last week the third truth is that faith Pleases God when we act in faith. It, it pleases God and therefore it receives His favor, His blessing, and the word that's used here in, in Hebrews chapter 11, His commendation, His, his approval. We talked about how when we talk about pleasing God, we're, we're just talking about the we're, we're talking in a way that we're in the realm of grace, like us pleasing God always has to be understood in terms of grace. But but when we as God's children who have been accepted and and, and placed into his family, when we act upon faith, it pleases him and then in turn, God blesses that and he commends it. I want to add a fourth truth. Are you ready this morning? A fourth truth uh, about faith. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The, The fourth truth is this. Faith looks to the future, specifically eternity and heaven for the fulfillment of God's promises. Faith... We said faith believes in God. It's an assurance, it's a confidence that God is real and that His promises are true. But this morning what we need to understand is that faith looks to the future, to eternity in heaven specifically for the fulfillment, for the ultimate and the greatest and the final fulfillment of those promises. So the first thing I want to talk to you about this morning is the danger of a misplaced faith the danger of a misplaced faith. you know one of the greatest dangers i think that christians face today is a faith that looks for a present fulfillment of all of god's promises a faith that looks for a present fulfillment in this life in a physical way right here right now of all of god's promises we we have seen that that faith is a divinely given inner certainty regarding god and his promises uh, and and we believe that to be true but but it's problematic then when we begin to think that god is going to fulfill all of those promises right now in this life the question is for us when do we look for when should we expect uh, those promises to be fulfilled based on my experience among believers and professing believers both in the local church and looking more broadly i I would make the case that far too many professing christians have a concept of faith that places a high expectation on god making their life good right now in this life in this world now there there are a couple sort of popular versions of this in Christianity. The first you may be uh, aware of, it's the health and wealth or the the prosperity gospel as it is often called. I would say that that's sort of the most extreme version of, of this notion. The prosperity gospel is the notion that God will abundantly bless His people right now in this life if they simply have enough faith. God's plan for you in this life is to be healthy and to be wealthy, to meet all of your needs and, and you really shouldn't suffer in this life. The The great problem then in this way of thinking that hinders people from experiencing this blessing is the fact that we lack faith. So if you are sick or, or if you did lose your job, uh, probably the, the, the source of that problem is that you simply don't have enough faith. And if you want to get out of that problem, if you want God to bless you with a new job or a better job, or you want God to heal you, then simply what you need to do is have faith. If you will simply believe and trust in God, if you will put your faith in Him, He will bless you. He will fulfill all of His promises to you right now in this life. It looks at faith as, all, as, as if it's almost a magical substance. And if you have enough of it, then you'll begin to move God, in, in a sense, toward blessing you. Well, I could say this: that in in its purest form, that really is complete heresy. It's it's unbiblical. Those who espouse teachers who espouse it are not true pastors, and those churches who who propagate this teaching are not true churches. It is this way of thinking. Really, is the main message of of so-called Christian television networks, and it's something that r- routinely makes inroads into popular Christianity. You, you hear it in teachers like uh, Benny Hinn and, and maybe more popular right now, somebody like Joel Osteen. Uh, he, he's a little bit uh, better packaged, if you want to say a little, not as uh, elaborate, uh, but he's teaching essentially the same way of thinking. L- listen to some of these quotes just to illustrate this way of thinking. These are from Joel Osteen. He says this, why don't you start believing there's faith? Why don't you start believing that no matter what you have done or haven't done, that your best days are still ahead of you? If you believe it, you see, it will happen. Why, why are you believing that bad things are going to happen? Because if you will have faith, that magic substance, then God will begin to bless. Start believing then that your best days are, are ahead of you. I gotta be careful. I'm gonna slip into my Joel Osteen impression, and I don't want to do that. Uh, it's not that funny. I'm not that good, but it, it's I get a kick out of it. So uh, here's another one. It, it is God's will for you to live in prosperity instead of poverty. It's God's will for you to pay your bills and not be in debt. Another another one. You you may be in a tough time, but that setback is simply a setup. For a comeback. Don't just accept whatever comes your way in life. You were born to win, you were born for greatness, you were created to be a champion. In life, do you, do you see the fundamental way in, way in which he looks at faith? Is that if you believe God, God will bless you. If there are problems in your life, you don't have enough faith, and you just simply need to start believing and trusting in God, and and God then will respond and will react, and He will bless you right here, right now. Last week, I I said that we need to have confidence that God's promises are true, but but you remember I said that we need to understand God's promises and rightly interpret them we we need to understand the context and we need to understand what exactly is being promised The the prosperity gospel fails at exactly this point. It interprets God's abundant blessings as something to be experienced primarily in this life. It takes all of God's promises and says God says he's going to do this. God's going to heal you. God's going to bless you. There's all of these abundant blessings and you can have all of them right now. That's problematic, that's a misinterpretation, and we're going to see that it's diametrically opposed to what we're seeing in our text this morning, because our our text this morning would say, those promises are going to be fulfilled in the future, and that's where we need to look. I'm not moving quickly enough, but let me just say that there is a, a second, I would call it prosperity gospel light. These are people who aren't necessarily wrapped up in the prosperity movement, they've never maybe never have heard Benny Hinn or Creflo Dollar or Joel Osteen, but they nevertheless, and there there may be some of you here this morning, uh, you're not on board with all that, but nevertheless, sometimes Christians operate from a fundamental understanding that having faith means that we should look for and expect the fulfillment of God's promises now in this life. Many Christians that I meet seem to be operating from an often unspoken, sort of an under-the-surface expectation that having and believing, having faith and believing in God should serve to make their life good. One author critiqued Christianity in, in our culture and called it moralistic therapeutic deism. So deism is simply a belief in God, not, a, not the biblical God of the Bible, but a God And it's moralistic, this way of thinking is moralistic, meaning that, yeah, we think there's some good things that you should do and some bad things that you shouldn't do, so there's some moral morals. But then there's, it's therapeutic. In other words, it's it's a view of faith, it's a view of being a Christian and believing in God that says, God's really there to help me. And so, listen, if you want to have a good marriage, you need to get in church and you need to believe in God. If you want God to bless your finances, then you, you need to start going to church and, and and giving and tithing and God will bless you. Your, your career will be blessed. God will open, open doors and help you climb the ladder. If you raise your kids in church and pass this faith on to them, they will be blessed. And, and, and it's just this concept that my life, because I follow God, God's going to kind of fix all my problems and make my life smooth and good and kind of give me all the things that I already really want, but, but God is going to be kind of the means to get me there. These people would never probably listen to Joel Osteen. They, they may not have read his book. They don't listen to maybe TBN. But, but nevertheless, many Christians seem to be operating with at least some level of that assumption in their life. If I do what I'm supposed to do and have faith in God, then God will make my life good. That's not what we see in this text, I would say that people who operate with this expectation are completely unprepared to deal with prolonged suffering. I said that this is one of the the biggest dangers facing Christians today. And and, and you might ask, why, why would you say that's one of the biggest dangers? Well, what happens when a person who's operating with this assumption, that my faith in God means that my life should be smooth, my husband should love me, my family should, everything should operate, I should have a good job, my my kids will do what I think they ought to do and they'll be successful in life. What, what happens when a person who's operating with those kinds of assumptions begins to experience suffering in, in this life? I, I, there are typically two responses or there are two typical responses perhaps there's more but but there's two that i see one one is that people abandon the faith this isn't what i signed up for you, you mean that i'm following christ i'm being a christian i'm giving to the church and i lose my job I, like I, i'm trying to follow christ and it's causing problems in my family this doesn't this doesn't make sense. But, and so people will then be tended, tend to just say, well, I'm just going to give up. Why would I do this if, if it's not going to fix my problems? The other is that people don't completely throw away their faith, but they don't have a category to understand this and so they live out their days their christian life and disappointment this is more so what i see I, I see christians who are disappointed i see christians who are ineffective i see christians who are confused joyless lifeless fruitless and that's their version of christianity nothing's happening uh, they're not zealous to follow the Lord. They're not attempting to do great things for God. And the reason is that they're, they're operating all the time with this sort of deficit. I've trusted God and my life isn't what I thought it was supposed to be. And so I'm disappointed. I'm disgruntled. I'm not really happy with God. And I can't make sense of why this is happening. And the problem is that you're operating with a, with a flawed assumption. You're operating with this assumption that God said He would smooth out your life and make it good, which just simply isn't true. And so we need to come to this passage this morning. I think what we see, secondly, if the first was a danger of misplaced faith, the second is a resilience of forward-looking faith. The resilience of forward-looking faith. This chapter is really a complete repudiation of any notion any notion of faith that means that God's promises will be primarily fulfilled in this present physical life the, in fact the complete opposite is true in this passage it's, it's actually stating the exact opposite of that assumption this chapter presents faith as a divinely given confidence that God will fulfill all of his promises he will reward his People, not in this life primarily, but in the life to come is that where your faith is this morning have you been looking and expecting god should bless me now god should make my life easy god should fix my problems because i have faith in him if that's the way you've been thinking this text would say no no take your eyes off of the here and now and understand that god is going to fulfill all of his promises he will reward his people but it will not primarily be in this life but in the life to come your faith must be if it will be resilient must be a faith that looks forward Let's look at the context this morning to see this, and then we're going to look at those three or four verses in in chapter 11. But if you have your Bible still open, look back to chapter 10, because chapter 11 comes after chapter 10, if you didn't know that. Uh, But but more importantly, it comes after chapter 10 in the flow of its thought as well. It's connected. Uh, Chapter 11 is not just launching off into some new thought. In fact, chapter 11 is flowing directly out of the end of chapter 10. So look look at chapter 10, verse number 34. These Hebrews that he's writing to had suffered. You remember that? They'd had their property confiscated. Following Christ for them meant a life of suffering. Following Christ for them meant that they had been ostracized and they were suffering persecution. And he's calling them to be faithful even though that's happening. So look at chapter 10, verse 34 for you had compassion on those in prison, meaning those in prison because of their faith in Christ. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Right? What what would Joel Osteen say to that person? Right? Your your property's been plundered. Joel Osteen would, would maybe say, why don't you start believing that no matter what you have or haven't done, your best days are still ahead of you? Is that is that what's coming up after chapter 10 verse 34 is that is that verse 35 is that what the, the apostle writes to him and says hey the problem is you don't have enough faith and if you had faith God would open the windows of heaven and pour out his blessing and everything would be changed in in your life no that's not what he says. You had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. People are are taking your property. It's being confiscated because you're following Christ and you were joyful in that moment. How could that be? He says, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. you, You willingly accepted that. You joyfully accepted it when your property was plundered. And the reason you did it is because you were looking forward. You knew that God had something for you in the future. You knew that God was going to restore all that in eternity in heaven. He was going to give you something far greater than anything that you lost in this life. Verse 35, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward your confidence now has a great reward god is going to reward it but it isn't probably going to be next week or next month or maybe even not next year it's going to be in eternity verse 36 for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of god you may receive what is promised so he's saying hey you you've been called to suffer right now They've put some of you in prison and and the rest of you have identified with them. And and for others of you, they've taken your property because you're following Christ and, and you've done that. You need to endure. You need to keep following Christ. You need to remain faithful because what's going to happen is that when you have continued to do the will of God, you are going to receive what is promised. When is that? When am I going to receive what is promised? Well, look at verse number 37. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. You see, He points them to the return of Jesus Christ. That's, what you, that's when you're going to get your promises. Not, not when you just simply muster up enough faith and start believing for good things to happen. Not then. No, no, when Jesus returns, He's going to give you everything that God promised. So, so look forward to that day. Don't set your hope on, on things now. You need to, essentially this is what he says, you need to continue to endure this suffering as long as it lasts, very possibly throughout the remainder of your life. And don't throw away your confidence in God's promises because when Jesus returns, you will receive all of the promises of God. That's what you and I are called to as well. That wasn't just for them. Is, is that the kind of faith that you have? Is, 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 do you have the kind of faith that says, you know, I'm going to continue following, I'm going to continue to be obedient, I'm going to continue trusting the Lord, even though things aren't going well, even though I lost my job, even though I'm having trouble with my family, even though things aren't going the way that I wish that they were going, I'm not going to throw away my confidence. Instead, I'm going to continue trusting the Lord and being obedient to Him. And I'm looking for that day when Jesus returns. And when He brings with Him all of the promises of God, you need to have a forward-looking faith. That's what chapter 11, verse 1 says in that definition as well. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Things hoped for are things in the future. Not hoped for like it's coming tomorrow. It's it's coming in the future, in eternity. It's only a forward-looking faith that will endure as I said that's the danger what's the danger why is this such an important thing because if you don't have a forward-looking faith you're gonna live a life of confusion a life of fruitlessness as a Christian and ultimately you may be tempted to just walk away from your faith if you misunderstand it in this way well, let's look at Abraham then Abraham is an example of forward-looking faith he's an exemplar of forward-looking faith you remember we talked about Abraham last week and how God made a promise to him. God appeared to Abraham and Sarah, and he made a covenant with them. This covenant, a promise that, that uh, was, was really the beginning of God's plan for redemption. He was going to send Christ, but he was going to work through Abraham and through his family. And so he began enacting that plan 2,000 years ahead of time and he started this plan with with abraham he promised abraham a couple things specifically Uh, one was that he would give him descendants abraham and sarah didn't have any children we talked about last week how god gave them children but the other thing was land god was going to make them a nation he was going to give them these descendants as as many as the sand on the seashore Uh, but he was also going to give them a promised land in which those people could dwell So there's land and there's descendants. But God called Abraham then to leave his land where he was from, his homeland, and to go live in Canaan, to to leave the Mesopotamia area and and go into uh, the the Canaan land where where, um, it's Palestine. And and Abraham did that. Abraham didn't have all the answers. Abraham didn't have all the details. And, And for the remainder of Abraham's life, It tells us in these verses, in verse 8, you see this. Uh, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to that place uh, where he was going to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. In verse number 9, he says, He went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, Heirs with him of the same promise. So he went out, he left his homeland, he left the, his family, and he went with him and his wife, and he went into this promised land, but he didn't just immediately receive it, right? He would just live there as a nomad. He lived, as it says, in tents. Like he didn't have a permanent dwelling there. He was just living as a foreigner in, in this land. And so he, he went out. What our passage adds to that this morning And what we need to understand is that Abraham in his lifetime did not fully receive things that God had promised him. Look at verse number 13. These all died in faith, talking about specifically Abraham and Sarah, but all the patriarchs. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles On the earth Abraham did not receive the things that were promised and so there's this tension he he went out uh, but he didn't fully receive everything that God had promised to him in this life so the question is how did Abraham continue to love God and obey God even though in his life in this earth was not one in which he experienced the fullness of everything that God had promised Basically, he left his family behind and he went to live in a a foreign land in tents. This was not some abundant, blessed life in in which all of these great promises and wealth was built up and great houses and Abraham didn't get to inherit the land uh, in a full sense, right? So so how was it that Abraham continued to love the Lord and, and obey Him? Well, our text helps us see Abraham, first of all, looked forward to heaven. Go back to verse number 10 again. We didn't really hit on this last week, but I'll point it out this week. It says here, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was called to leave his family behind and go to live in this foreign land and tents. And he did that with this motivation. He understood in verse number 10 that he was looking to a greater city. Yes, he understood that God was going to give his descendants this land and that they were going to be built and established in this land and build cities and and all of this stuff, but Abraham didn't get to experience all that. He lived as a foreigner. But but he was able to go out and to be obedient to God because he was looking beyond that initial fulfillment. He was looking beyond the fact that he was living as a foreigner in this land. He was looking to a greater city. That is the, the new Jerusalem. Abraham looked forward to heaven. This word in in verse number 10, he was looking forward. This means literally to receive or accept something, uh, but but secondarily to look for, to expect, or to await. In other words, I'm going to receive it, but it isn't here yet. It's, It's coming in James chapter 5, verse 7, it talks about the farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth. You see, it's been planted. It's, it's growing under the ground, and it's going to grow up, and I'm going to have it. It's coming, but, but I'm waiting for it. I'm looking for it. I'm expecting it. To come, And that's the way Abraham was when it came to this heavenly city that he was longing for. He knew it was in, in the future. And that's what enabled him to be radically obedient to God. No matter what God called him to do, he was willing to do it because he was looking to something greater. He was expecting it to come about. This is what faith does. It knows that God reward, God's reward is coming and so it looks forward. It expects it awaits what is coming. We see this city that he was looking forward. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is the Lord. It's clear here when he talks about this city that he's talking about heaven. He's talking about the the New Jerusalem. Abraham understood that God's promises to include something far greater than an earthly city. And that's what enabled him to obey God despite not seeing promises fulfilled. Are you looking forward to heaven? Is that the motivator in your life? Are you looking forward to promises beyond this life? You see, if your view of God is just simply that he, he ought to just make this life good and he ought to fulfill all of his promises right now, you're going to be sorely, sorely disappointed. But if you're like Abraham and you understand and you have this inner conviction that there is in reality an eternal city, an eternal place that we are going to dwell with the Lord forever and ever, and all of God's blessings, all of God's promises are going to be poured out upon us in eternity, if you truly believe that, if you have that conviction, that assurance that that is true, you'll be freed to live and obey God in radical ways in this life. Abraham looked for a city, but secondly, Abraham confessed that he was an exile. Look at verse number thirty thirteen, rather. Verse number thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now that comes from a statement Genesis 23 verse 4 where Abraham himself speaking to people in the land of Canaan that he had gone to live in and he referred to himself in Genesis 23 4 he said I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. But the writer of Hebrews looks back at that and, and he understands Abraham not just to be saying hey I was from Mesopotamia and I moved here and I'm, I'm, that's my homeland and I'm in exile here. I'm a foreigner here. What what the writer of Hebrews says is that Abraham actually understood that my home is in heaven. that That's where my eternal dwelling place is. That's my fa- that word uh, homeland is really uh, literally fatherland. That's my fatherland. That's where I belong. That's, where, that's, that's the place of my true residence is in heaven. But for right now, I'm living on this earth. Look at verse 13 again. Do you see that? He said, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles. Where? Not just in the land of Canaan. They were strangers and exiles on this earth. They understood that their final home place was not this earth. Do you understand that? Are are you living in that way? Does your life add up to, 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 to that understanding? Right? That this is not your home. Hancock County is not your home. Kentucky is not your home. The United States is not your homeland. Heaven is your home. Really, literally, truly. It's not just something we sing about as Christians. It's not just something we talk about or we like to dream about. That really is your eternal dwelling place. And, and that's what Abraham understood. So when God says, hey, move from your family and come over here, he's like, okay. This is temporary. I'm in exile anywhere I go on this earth, so I'm going to obey you. Part of the problem with our... Lack of obedience is is so often we're so tied to this place, right? We're so tied to where we're from and we're so tied to possessions in this life and and we're so rooted here and, and we ought to be like Abraham. We ought to understand and the other patriarchs, we are exiles on this earth forever. As long as we live here, we are not in our true home. Abraham confessed that word confessed or that word acknowledge is literally uh, to to confess something he confessed that he was an exile and that's that's the case that is made what I just explained to you in, in verses 14 15 and 16 for people who speak thus that speak as being talking about being exiles make it clear that they are seeking a homeland in other words, when, when someone calls themselves an exile, that uh, 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 they're saying, I'm looking for a homeland. Verse 15, if they had been thinking about the land from which they had gone out, where, where God had called him out, he could have just gone back, he says. He had an opportunity to return. If he viewed himself as an exile, like, hey, you could just go back. But verse 16 makes it clear. But as it is, they desire a better country. What country is that? A heavenly country. When Abraham called himself an exile or a pilgrim, he was speaking of the fact that his home was ultimately in heaven. We should view ourselves as exiles as well. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, it says, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. You have no lasting home on this earth you ought to live seeking the city that is to come the when god will fulfill his promises i I like what he says again in verse 10 Uh, he says abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations This city that we're going to has foundations. You see, anywhere you live here doesn't have foundations. Everything here is going to be shaken. Everything here is going to fall away. But Abraham was looking to a city that had foundations. It was permanent. It was a permanent, eternal structure. One person says this about that statement. He calls heaven a city that has foundations because of its permanence. For in the world there is nothing but what is transitory and fading. Now, whatever is formed by men, whatever cities built by men, is like its authors unstable. So also is the perpetuity of the heavenly life. It corresponds with the nature of God, its founder. In other words, man-made cities are temporary because they're made by temporary people. The city that God builds is permanent because God is eternal. That's where you ought to hang your hopes. Is this eternal city, not anything here? Don't lay up, Jesus says, treasures on this earth. Th- this world, John says in the gospel or, or in the first epistle of John, this world is passing away along with its desires. Don't, people, don't put your hope here even if God fulfills some of His promises now, even if God gives you a foretaste of them briefly in this life, this is not going to be the place where you experience true and lasting joy. It's going to pass away. It's like the song that we sometimes sing, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Oh, that Christians would really believe that. That we would live our lives in that way. That that would not just be a song that we sing, but that that would be our, our heartbeat. This world is not—it's not where my hopes are. It's not where God is going to fulfill His promises. I'm looking for a heavenly city. That's where God will fulfill all of His promises. One last thing that we recognize here in verse 13. Verse 13 is really the heart of it. Notice what he says here. These all died in faith. Stop and think about that. Sometimes we read the Bible, we read over it so quickly. Just listen to that statement. These all died in faith. In other words, you're you're not going to have the fulfillment of of God's promises in this life in an ultimate full kind of sense. If if the Lord gives you a true faith, you're going to die in faith. To, To die in faith means that God's promises are not yet fulfilled in this life. Every true believer is going to die in faith. It's, it's, it's not as if you're going to experience it all now. You're when, when you die, if you still have genuine saving faith, you're still going to be expecting. You're still going to be looking forward. You're still going to be longing for God to fulfill His promises. And that's going to happen if you have genuine faith on the day that you die. So, so don't think it's just, you know, you know, I've heard Osteen say before, you know, God's blessing is just around the corner. No, 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 no maybe just around the corner of eternity right it's just after our death that's that's where we will experience God's blessing you will if God gives you the grace to persevere in faith you will die in faith still waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises do you have that kind of faith this morning Do you have a kind of faith that will go through tribulation, through suffering, through cancer, through debilitating diseases, through the death of loved ones, through the death of your parents, perhaps the death of brothers and sisters, through the death maybe even of children, and through your own death? Do you have the kind of faith in the future promises of God that will sustain you all the way to the end? If you're looking for Christ, for God, to bless you in this life primarily, you will discard your faith somewhere along the way we need to have the kind of faith that would allow us to die in faith let's pray our heavenly father we come to you this morning and we pray O lord that you would grant to us persevering faith your word tells us in chapter 10 you have need of endurance and we all have need of endurance God, we need Your grace at work in our lives. We we need You to strengthen us. We need You to help us. We just confess that if it is ultimately left up to us, we, we will fail. Our faith will fail. But we pray that You would strengthen us and help us in this moment. Help us to persevere. And I pray for everyone in this room that You would help us to die in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.